Hi, this is Frank Mulder, or Mr. Daft Prawn on Twitter and Instagram, and you are listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. I hope you're still paying attention because now I'm going to tell you the most important... You've seen the show, and like us, you have questions. Ooh, that was a good one, but try this one on for size. No question should be left off your list. Whoa, 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 I got a crazy theory, but hear me out. But you better have some spares. Oh, that was one of mine. All right, let's do this instead. With me, as always, is my friend and Card Squadron winger. This is Greg Cass, a.k.a. Ion Cannon. We've recorded at home and across the U.S., Last summer, we were from the Boston Common. This week, we're in Chicago. This is day three of celebration. The show has had many names, but the purpose is the same. Let's share some time at the table. Ding, ding, it's time for breakfast. Welcome to The Breakfast Pack, a Rebel Base Card micro podcast series. A returning Star Wars insert series podcast that asks more questions than it answers. Today on Breakfast Pack number 54, we are asking questions on Mandalorian Season 3, Guns for Hire, which premiered on Disney Plus on Wednesday, April 5th. Along with me, Greg McLaughlin, hey, it's me, is my co-host and fellow Card Squadron winger Gregory Cass from Ion Cannon on Instagram Hive and IonCannon.com. Greg, looking great in his university swag today. How you doing? (laughs) Well, Greg, I do my hair toss. I check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? I'm feeling good as hell. Thank you for having me. I, I, I would have laid good money. I would have not heard that intro from you tonight, but it's all gold to me. As long as I'm recording. <laughs> yes, I'm recording this. It's all gold. <laughs> all right. <laughs> However, since we are clear of the Bad Batch for now, and we only have one show to talk about, it opened up the possibility of bringing back some friends to the show. I'd call them Card Squadron, but I think our friend Ross Holbin may be challenging me for the rights to this group as Disco Leader. Between cards and Disco, I don't know. I just may have to yield to Disco. Anyway, it's too long of an intro for our first returning guest tonight, Jen Subchokchai from the Long Take Substack and now podcast. Jen, welcome back. And if you can slip in, how was WonderCon? Oh, uh, thanks for having me back. Um, it's great to be here. I'm excited to talk about what I think is probably the weirdest episode of The Mandalorian <laughs> that we've had yet. Spoilers. Um, but WonderCon, WonderCon was amazing. I think what's interesting is that it has sort of toned down a little bit in terms of mainstream hype uh, because it used to be back in the day, like San Diego Comic-Con, where all the major studios would sort of like pile in and do all a bunch of trailer drops and everything. And it was pretty calm and quiet and actually just focused on comics, which I think is how it should be. Nice. Uh, so that was super fun. And there were so many good cosplayers. I saw so many great Mandalorian uh, getups. And then the droid, um, the droid builders had a really good corner of the floor um, where they, I saw a, ch- a great chopper. There was a BB-8 running around. It was a great time. Did you decide to cosplay on this con or you just went as a civilian? I did as on the second day. So I had my Dr. Afra nice. costume on day two when I was there without kids and didn't have to worry about like fussing over them. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. But just like this episode, we have another special guest back from his sabbatical to Memphis and Graceland. He's a hunk of hunk of burning Google Docs. Ben Brophy, <laughs> a.k.a. Director Bennick on Instagram and Twitter. Yes, it took me some time to write this is also with us. Ben, how are you and how was that vacation? 
Uh, it was spectacular. Thank you. I had a lot of fried chicken and barbecue, which was the big goal, and uh, really immersed myself in the origins of rock and roll. So it was great. I haven't done any research for this episode because that was goth. That was what I was doing. And yeah, you're on vacation. I have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> um i personally i loved the uh the pictures from Stax records that was like super dope but i also love the fact you know like i'm still kind of recovering from you know con vacation con and cold that um the pictures of your boy is kind of like you know it's like we have such a small window you know like for for the folks on the on the on the left side of the zoom call right with young kids they're super excited about getting their picture taken all the time when you have older kids, they are less so, and you get about one or two, and then you get the rest of your reel looks like, really, we're doing this again? Um, but <laughs> th I think there was enough great shots that it looked like everybody had a good time, and I appreciate you sharing that and, and uh, letting us know. <laughs> All right. Since this is an insert series podcast, we're in the regular feed where Greg, Jen, Ben, and I will trade questions to each other that we have not talked about before. So there's, of course, a chance we could trade it. We could take another's question. And since we're talking about a current series of Star Wars, if you haven't seen Guns for Hire already, yes, Guns for Hire, I don't know why I blanked on that, um, we ask you to stop listening here, go watch the episode, and come back because there's going to be spoilers, and this one especially had a lot of spoilers. Um, so, and because we... Um, have uh, some guests tonight we're going to dispense with the Greg's List for this week. But as far as spoilers are concerned, A, I want to thank the group threads because we were super cool on making sure nobody had seen it, you know, talking about it until people had seen it. But I would say, you know, and we've kind of like jumped in on some of the the thoughts on the episode already, kind of saying to folks, don't get on social media before you watch this was perfect because I think I missed all the hot takes by, you know, like watching it and then letting all that wave like crash over like some of the storms this week, you know, move past, do its damage. And I come back on, I'm like, oh, it, you know, and I, I, I kind of missed some of it. So I knew that there was some hubbub about it, but it, it, it was in a different area of Twitter and Instagram and all that. So, and even one person on Instagram, I was like going through my feed and someone was like, hot take on man. I was like, nah. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Go think about it and come back and, and talk to me later with, with your not so hot take. And I think that's especially two more episodes to go. These ones, I especially say to everyone, and we, you know, we talk about the spoilers and things, just get off of social media and watch it, enjoy it, ingest it. And then if you want to go read the reviews and the hot takes, and of course, listen to this podcast twice, maybe uh, get those download numbers up, please do. Anyway, all right. I'm on, I've been off of uh, Star Wars Twitter for a while and not really on Star Wars social media at all, particularly. So it has been interesting. I miss it in a lot of ways, but it is great to see an episode like this fresh and to spend the next uh, 24 hours also not hearing anybody talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it is really, I, I can only imagine. <laughs> what the scene is on Twitter. Well, tell you what, um, Greg, and I think you may have alluded to this as well. Should we do some? Should we do some of our own takes before, or, or thoughts on before we dive in? How do we feel about that group? 
All right. I see yeah. I see some thumbs up and <laughs> cheering. Uh, Jen, just because I remember to start with you first, it's easier for me to remember. Uh, let's go, start with you. What were your thoughts on this before we dive in? Uh, so I am very much still processing what we saw. <laughs> I'm going to say that up front. Uh, I generally had a pretty good time watching this, though. I'm I'm not sure how it stands on its own as an episode of television. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed how kind of like fun it was, especially in the earlier parts. And actually, so what's interesting is that my, I'm more mixed on, I think, the the part of the episode that other people are not that upset by. Uh, I think a lot of people we're probably going to talk about it. A lot of people are upset by the last like five or ten minutes of the episode. I'm okay. I'm actually okay with that part. It was the more the like, are we jumping the shark with three huge celebrity cameos and uh, and Grogu getting knighted by Lizzo? Like, what are we doing? Um, so, so that that part for me, it was like I had a great time watching it. But I'm like, does this is this really what I want from this show? And I think I'm mm. still thinking through that for sure. Interesting, Mr. Brophy. Um. I think that this is going to be a show that people will talk about, an episode that people will talk about for a long time. And there is a certain Star Wars Christmas special, uh, you know, aspect to that. But people love to talk about Star Wars Christmas special. (laughs) (laughs) So I think some of this stuff will end up being really like beloved Star Wars. And right now it's kind of in that, like trying to process it and make it make it fit with everything else that we know about Star Wars so far. All right, Greg Cass. I, say, I, did, I, oh. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I did. It, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm going to steal from Ben. I think after I saw Last Jedi, Ben and I had uh, brunch at a diner. I think I have that timing right. And Ben gave one of my favorite. Uh, kind of messages ever and he said essentially when when he thinks about star wars he's built like a cool lego creation and then when something new comes into canon it's like you smash it to bits and then you rebuild it kind of looking a little differently with a lot of the same pieces obviously to make the metaphor work and you do that um and so to steal that from from ben who thankfully i can steal from in person tonight instead of just in absentia uh boy did this smash my lego set uh dramatically um it's funny i um i was in college when school of rock came out and my dorm room actually had a jack black uh school of rock poster the one that looked like the rolling stone cover on it so i've been a huge jack black fan forever i love tenacious d i love i was like uh, I don't really think I wanted him in Star Wars. <laughs> With I all hope the love and, and affections. Yeah. <laughs> all the love and affection I have him. I mean, I think I was, I sat alone at the premiere of the Tenacious D movie in a movie theater that was completely empty. Like, wow. uh, no one. Uh, so, uh, like, I, I'm a big fan and I, and I like what he does and I like his goofiness. But um, Star Wars should be weird. And I think we forget that. And, you know, today, you know, 40 years, later return of the jedi looks like our favorite movie but return of the jedi is weird and really strange and some of those muppety guys are totally strange i mean think of you know max rebo's little blue bum that was the talk of celebration uh last last year uh so i do think it's correct to say what we feel about today won't be what we feel about it forever but i will say where i'm sitting today i'm uh i'm a little lost on this one (laughs) I should probably be more down on this 
But I would say I came in, and I think maybe it's because, you know, Bad Batch ended really heavy, right? And we've already kind of been with this Mandalorian season. We have gotten these episode of the week, which I'm kind of happy about because it doesn't have this, you know, we know what the overall arc is. And sometimes, you know, when you're getting up and you're really watching this early, I'm like, do I really want, you know, was Andor at four or five o'clock in the morning really the best time to, you can like, I got to get through this. And it was sometimes it felt like a chore to kind of get through some of that. But this you go, you know what? You know, they had basically bookends of what we thought was going to happen. And then you get this kind of like weird. And, and, and I think Greg, you put right the nail on the head. It was weird. It was kind of funny. But I think it's like when you kind of start off and you just go, oh, there's Jack Black. Oh, there's Lizzo. And then all of a sudden, the third one, you know, Christopher Lloyd shows up and you're going, okay, this is this is kind of unprecedented. But I'm like, it's fine. And you get the, the, the droids and all this. So I would say that it was nice enough. It was light enough that I go, it was almost kind of like a popcorn type movie where it's like, okay, I'm in. What are you going to do? And it wrapped up and, it, you know, it there was a little CSI type element to it and a little bit of danger. But at the end of the day, you know, and you had Mando and and Bo-Katan kind of snipping back and forth. It was kind of funny. You're like, okay, buddy cop film. All right, I'm in. <laughs> so at the end, you go, I wouldn't mind watching that again. And when my wife and I were watching it last night, that was like perfect. I'm like, you know what? You don't have to know a ton of stuff. Uh, it was a nice self-enclosed adventure. And at the end, you know, uh, there was one there was one meme with uh, Axe Wolves. And it was just sort of like, bro, I'm going to like, yeah, I'm going to get into a fight. I'm going to post a video later. And it's like later on, he's like, no, never mind. I got my butt kicked. I won't, I'm not going to post it. And I'm like, that's perfect. Um, but anyways, but I, 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 like I said, I, I'm surprised. I should be like, Bleh. but I'm like, no, nah, it was fun, entertaining. And, uh, you know, had this come up like towards the end, right? Because we expect some stuff to go down here at, you know, seven or eight. And maybe that's to our detriment that we're really putting our hopes on what we think is going to happen. But at this point, I'm like, eh, it's all right. And, you know, Christopher Lloyd, I mean, how many of these performances are we going to get from Christopher Lloyd, to be honest with you? I mean, you look at him going, I really hope you're taking all your pills, man, because that, you know, <laughs> I'm really like... 80, 84, I looked it up because Rachel, my wife, and I were debating. And it's like, yeah, he's he's up there. So uh, got to put in a plug. If people skipped the Bob Odenkirk movie, Nobody, in which uh, Bob Odenkirk just beats up a bunch of people, Christopher Lloyd plays his dad, and it is his best work oh. since Back to the Future, in my opinion. It's such a fun little part, so... Uh, there's your uh, Netflix or some service recommendation of the week. <laughs> I think you just beat Jen to the movie pun. You beat her at her own game. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> this is not good already. All right. But since let's go ahead and get the questions in, because I know we have a, a short night, but that's not necessarily such a bad thing uh, for us to have one, one, uh, one show and one train of thought. But Jen, go ahead and lead us off. What is your first question for this evening? Mm, I'm torn because there's one that's perfectly segueing from what we're talking about, but then there's another that's a little bit more, or a little bit more meaty. So I think maybe I'll opt for the me the meatier one because I'm sure we'll we'll talk about the other one inevitably. Mm -hmm. But my question is, did Doc Brown, I mean Commissioner Hellgate, <laughs> act alone? Was he was he just was this just a one off thing, or was he following someone else's orders? Uh, for example, Moff Gideon. Hmm. My instinct is I can't see just because of the nature of the episode, it's hard for you to imagine Moff Gideon existing in this. <laughs> 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 okay. Um 
I did. I, I did have to say I was watching it the second time. I was like, what is his motive? I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't 100 percent clear on why he was doing whatever he was doing. Um, I'm still not clear on what his motive was exactly. But... I mean, he says Count Dooku is a visionary. And and when I heard Christopher Lloyd say Count Dooku, I just blacked out and I missed the rest of that scene. I'm like, did that just happen? Like we we this is this is it. And and I mean that in a positive way. It's like, yeah, this show is really trying to pull it's trying to speak to all Star Wars fans. And I do whatever criticisms I have, it's very admirable that everybody's welcome to this table. And um, you know, I think again, some of the discontent, there's always been this crew that's like the force unleashed is the real only real star Wars. We need R rated everything. It's like, no, you need, you need everything. I mean, my kids just ate up all those shorts of the high Republic kids show that's coming out and they're super goofy and silly and fun. And that's what star Wars needs to be too. So, um, I hadn't thought about him having a second like uh, accomplice in this regard. I will say uh, I'm not entirely sure on the details of the plot, which is also a classic Star Wars thing. But it was interesting to me how reminiscent it was of the kind of maligned Clone Wars arc with the um, poisoned Kool-Aid on Mandalore. Mm. And the fact that it, it is like a very similar thing only done to droids makes me think, is this somebody who knows their their history? I mean, is it just Dave Filoni recycling an idea or something? But um, I I have a question I'm going to come up to later that I think will let you build on this a little bit. So I'll save it there. But that's what I think. I think I think it's possible. I, I wanted to follow up on something about the separatists. Uh, I because mm. I do think that's like he he brings that up. In a way, I thought he'd be sort of they'd be sort of living the separatist dream right now. They're an independent world. Right. right, and free of Republic and the Empire and all that it seems like just what they're trying to do. So um, I wasn't sure about that, but I they mentioned the separatists as an ongoing group in Andor as well. So I kind of like to think that you know you can imagine Christopher Lloyd through the whole Star Wars <laughs> cycle doing things. He he seems to conflate the Republic with the the New Republic. I think. Because he mm -hmm. sort of says like the something about, you know, he lists a bunch of errors of Star Wars. He's like, you know, the, the Republic was corrupt and the New Republic. He says something to that effect, I feel like. Or maybe that's just me reading between the lines because he's saying like, count to because if we go back to the Bad Batch episode with the governor, I'm going to forget her name, Ames, I want to say yeah. from the solitary clone. She says something similar where she's like, Count Dooku was right. You know, the 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 Republic is corrupt. So I've. That was sort of my reading of it was like maybe he's sort of just like assuming that there it's more of the same. The New Republic is the same as the Re Republic and therefore corrupt and he has to try to sabotage it. Well, remember, Republic would literally be the same as the Empire. And part of why he hates Jack Black is that he, he's one of these amnesty folks from the Empire. So so I think it's it's there, too, that has what he loves Lizzo as we all do. But, um, you know, uh, he says he doesn't like the influence of Jack Black. And maybe that's still, you know, looking at him as Imperial. Some of that attitude we got between Teva and Kane last week, kind of that same uh, prejudice. Although, again, it was correct last week. Like, we can judge the prejudice last week, but she, he was correct to be suspicious of her. Here, it seems like Jack Black's just a good guy, but who knows? 
I think the fact that they had seated in, you know, with um, Elia Kane that, you know, sometimes the rehabilitation doesn't work or, I mean, in her case, you know, maybe she's ISB uh, and and maybe Jack Black is, is simply what he is. You know, on the one hand, I, I almost kind of thought, could Jack Black, as an, as an Imperial, you know, officer on that planet, be working with... Um, you know, the, the commissioner. But on the other hand, as much as I do think there was a hole in, you know, Hellgate's plan, I'm not so sure I don't mind the fact that maybe he didn't have, a, maybe he didn't really think it all through. And he was maybe acting a little more emotionally or he was trying to, to lash out because he didn't like where the society was going. And, he, but he just didn't have all the pieces together. It just was, you know, his hand was close to that button, but I'm starting to think like, what really would you have done had you, you know, the, the episode certainly wouldn't have been as, as cute if that button had been pushed. It would have been a lot more interesting if you're on the Andor side of things, however, comma, um, or even Bad Batch, shoot, you know, let, let's not leave that out. But I don't, I don't know. It's, you know, it's just, it is kind of interesting, isn't it? I think you guys cracked it for me a little bit though. Like he doesn't like the he doesn't like the captain and he's got this backup plan where he can seize control if, if somehow it, this guy's going to bring in the empire/republic. He also seems to be sort of disgusted with the citizens of mm. is it Plazier? Plazier 15 it? or is there a number yeah. in there? Yeah. Right cuz okay. he sort of has his his Wally monologue where he's like they're so dependent mm. on these machines if we took them away they wouldn't be able to function and then so, and there's there's so much bitterness in in his delivery of that so i'm wondering if that if that's part of it too he just it's like society's gone down the tubes i don't know it's sort of like you know he, he like let christopher lloyd monologue i don't really care what he's saying i'm just enjoying the fact that he's doing it um at any rate to All recycle right. a joke from a different text chain, I will say, I just wanted him to yell, 1.21 nanobots. <laughs> <laughs> from, I think from, it's Ben's question, though. <laughs> a different chain or different chain code? Uh, oh. <laughs> yes, Ben, Ben, you're up. Um, okay, switching gears a little bit. When they are arriving on Plazier 15 uh, and uh, they see the, uh, the fleet that both gathered for the Mandalorians. Din says those could be handy in taking back Mandalore, which seems like where we're going, right? But I did kind of like taking back Mandalore from who? That's my big question. Thank you. Because it seemed like there was nobody on Mandalore except, you know, a couple creepy spider guys, maybe. So <laughs> what do you guys what do you guys think? Like who who are they conflicting with to take back Mandalore? Hmm. Uh I have become a, a subscriber to the theory that there's a big imperial base on Mandalore. I think the the poison is the lie, and uh, it actually is very much like Andor, right? It seems like the planet Andor is from, there's a lie that they can't breed there, which is why Marva takes Andor way back in the first episode or second episode. Um, so I think that's, that to me is the best explanation of the ties that attacked Bo's castle. Um, that they're all short range and they came from Mandalore and there's a hidden base there. I'm not sure if that that's Gideon or that's Thrawn or that's, I don't know, 
Palpatine returning somehow a little early. Who knows? Uh, but that that's my guess is that they would there's a base there. But I accept the point that like Din shouldn't know that. Like in Din's mind, I don't know who he thinks that right. would help with. I, I think it could be take back as as you know a metaphor for resettling or permanent settlement on Mandalore. Uh, because I like your theory if Concordia is uninhabited, right? Because Concordia being a moon of Mandalore, you would expect like, well, if they didn't if the Empire didn't go screw up Concordia, why ain't y'all on Concordia? Unless, of course, there's enough of the Empire settling on Mandalore, mining Beskar, that all right, we just got to split. But then you're like, okay, what about Bo-Katan's world? Sorry, I forgot. I'm still congested. Why Why didn't they go after that? But maybe that, that world is a little farther off the grid. Don't know. But I would say maybe more metaphor. But yeah, I'm, I, I may have to get on the Greg train on this one. There must be an Imperial base. I also feel like I would go even more specific and say Moff Gideon. That's where he ended up. Mm-hmm. That he's hiding. He If there is an Imperial base, base or presence there that's where he's hiding out and there he's he's just plundering what's left (laughs) and and that and to me i i say that because it really seems like all signs are pointing to a showdown between all of the reunited recently reunited mandalorians and some common foe right and who better than the leader of the great purge right that and then you get some some sort of like avenging the wrongdoings from the past built in. And I feel like I'm just picturing the finale where they're all kind of descending on Mandalore. They discover there's Moff Gideon's there and then there's a huge battle. I think something that would work great is if the Mandalorians resettled Mandalore and then the conflict was Moff Gideon comes back because what would be more terrifying than he's come back to bomb them all over again. I don't, they don't have time to set that up <laughs> before the season so far. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I. I guess I. I'm. 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 Maybe I'm being too rational for Star Wars after this episode, but I'm (laughs) skeptical of the idea that uh, the Empire's there on Mandalore without Bo Katan knowing about it. Mm. You know, Mm. she's on the moon over Mandalore. She seems. (laughs) I don't know. She had a little army there before, so it's just hard for me to imagine that their top enemy was there, right there on the planet the whole time. is is hard for me to figure out. We'll see. That, that seems like a good criticism of the theory, certainly, and makes sense to me. And I, I'm not as good with my memory as I want, but the Empire was on Navarro, and they had kind of a secret base not all that far away. Is it a situation like that? Are they underground in some way? But... You know, there's also uh, the Family Guy version of Empire Strikes Back pointed that out where the rebel transports want to leave Hoth and they're like, we know we'll fly directly at the Star Destroyers. (laughs) It's like, no, actually, there's, you know, a million directions off the planet. But it is a very funny Star Wars rule that there seems to be like you're like you're saying they would see the ships coming and going. Could you change that a little and say they're on the far side and the moon is tidal locked and so Bo never saw it? Or I, it seems like you're right. You would end up spending more time explaining it and nobody would care than than getting any good mileage out of it. They make a point of saying that um that that Din and and Bo have never even heard of Plazier fifteen before. So I'm mm. kind of making 
setting us up for the fact there are lots of planets out there where they could be. Which 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 could say there could be a planet that Jack Black is on in the Star Wars universe. It's perfectly <laughs> all right. All planets are valid. You can have Jack Black and Lizzo on a planet that no one's heard of. Just like we didn't hear of Batu. Which, by the way, congratulations <laughs> on booking your trip. Mr. Cass, you are <laughs> heading to a place that didn't exist before three, four, five years ago. <laughs> no, I'm uh, reading the New High Republic uh, book, and it's in there. So it's it's thousands of years old. Uh, yeah, well, and I just because it's uh, I don't have a question or anything related to this, but I'll just throw out the fact. Hey, it seems kind of convenient that we found Jack Black, who seems to know how to build big domed cities. And we would probably oh. be wanting to build some big domed cities again uh, pretty quick. And, you know, I think the pattern across all these Filoni Favreau shows has been the little pieces matter along the way and they'll come back around. So, you know, I think we might see a little more of that. And speaking of little pieces, here's my question, which I'm going to throw to all of you. And it's a very amorphous question, but um, you know, I read this uh, excellent blog called the long take, uh, which has thought some about uh, these themes over the course of the the season. Um, and we get a lot all season long about reprogramming and Ooh. what happens when your programming, um, you know, uh, gets overridden or changed. And I just, I, so the question is going to be like, what did this episode do to that theme? Cause I, I think it's gave us a lot more related to reprogramming. And yet it's all kind of, as I look across the season, it's starting to get a bit muddled in my mind. So just to note the droids, had programming underneath and then they sip the tainted drink and they return to their underlying program as i understood it it's not a faulty code it's that the the nano droids go help them go back to their original programming like and IG then again 11. we yes yes exactly like ig11 and then we get the fact that jack black is so sure that the droids are okay because he did the reprogramming himself and then as an amnesty member he is himself reprogrammed uh and it was the ringerverse this week pointed out that the amnesty badges um have a arabesh a on them which means they're all wearing the scarlet letter which is just so perfect i had totally missed that so i just want to shout that out as a, a fun fact in this but what are we doing with this theme of reprogramming does anybody have any pithy thoughts Hmm. for this episode specifically i actually was like are we about to get a droid uprising because that scene in the droid bar was actually one of my favorite scenes and hearing them talk about well you know you know this is like shouldn't we have a second chance right if we were in the new republic we'd get decommissioned or like sent to the scrap and here here they're giving us a new purpose a new a new life right so very much parallels the amnesty program is just for droids uh but the you know they but they're also being exploited at the same time and sort of abused it seems like because they're just serving everybody so yeah that was kind of my thought is like and it somehow the preconceived notions and bias seems to also be factoring in right because it's din's childhood trauma that causes him to hate droids so much it to the point where it takes ig some like heroic acts like ig11 to sort of like but not even change his mind only change his mind about that one droid <laughs> right and so so we get a lot of like 
So I think the part of the theme here is can people really change? And if we're plugging that back into what I think is the broader story the season's trying to tell, right? It's like, can Mandalore adapt and evolve in order to survive, right? Can they be given a second chance? Will they be able to settle their differences? Can the children of the watch, you know, come a little towards center? And can the <laughs> the night owls sort of like abide what they what Axwell doesn't Axwell actually calls them zealots, right? He calls it a zealot in this episode. Mm. So I feel like that it's all wrapped up in that of like, can people really change? Can they like can we give them a second chance? Or are they always it's the what's the tiger stripes idiom? I'm not remembering it now, but a tiger can't change his stripes. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Their stripes. So uh, Jen just said a lot of things, but all I heard was <laughs> L3 was right. L3 was right, right? Uh, it, it, I mean, it just makes me think a lot about L3 and that, you know, it's been a very funny question since Solo of like, how should we think about droids? And I think L3 complicated that and, and this theme goes on. I had so much empathy for those droids in that room when they're like, please, like, we need your help. Mm. I was like, let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> One of my favorite sub themes in Star Wars the last few years is this: what is what does it mean to be a droid thing? Mm. And uh, I like that there's I feel like there's no no like canon agreement on this yet. It's like different different uh, creators are just throwing in their own ide- ideas that are <laughs> conflicting and everything. Um, at the the first episode of season two, Mandalorian uh, the Mandalorian is shaking that um, the one eyed uh, criminal up. And he's like, I swear it on the Gotra, which is like the droid Gotra in mm. Legends, is and not just in Legends, it's in in the Solo novel also. Are you know they're like droid criminals who are have removed all of their obedience uh, programming and are now thinking about a droid universe or whatever. So I, I was sure, like I, ever since that episode, I was like, when's the droid Gotra gonna show up? And I thought this was <laughs> it. This was gonna be it. <laughs> mm. Well, let's just the droids. What they really want to do is just keep serving people. Yep. And in a way, I, Bo says something like, "She's like, he's like, you can't reason them." And she's with like, they are literally programmed. All they do. <laughs> that, was <laughs> that was a great. So line. That was a great line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the risk of really reaching for this, it, it, I, I would agree with Jen. It was one of my favorite scenes, not only because about thirty years ago, I wrote a scenario for the star wars role-playing game uh it was a story called why are the droids dying which was kind of taking it uh like a riff off of a new hope where there was that prejudice against droids taking jobs and all of a sudden these droids are getting you know sabotaged and your mission was to try to figure out who is who is behind this and i i I seriously this weekend want to dive and try to find that that (laughs) scribbling because you know, I, I don't think it's good. It was good. It probably wasn't good writing then, but I just, it was one of those ideas. But I would say I thought it took an ep- it, 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 it took a turn during that episode where you weren't expecting it to get really deep. And I was like, that was just a sheer gem of that. And I, I just, I liked it you know, because it just, you know, every now and then you go, yep, you got, whoever came up with that one was like, yeah, all right, A plus star for the day. You know, they put a little star sticker on their laptop for the day as they left the writing room going, you get a star, because uh, that's really good. But yeah, I, w- I would say, you know, we've been trained this se- this 
season to go, well, one, we, we're all really thinking that the New Republic sucks, and they're really hammering that home, but also the fact that all this stuff doesn't, it doesn't seem to be working. And when I was shaking my head going, you know what, it's, you know, it's going to take Bo-Katan and a Herculean effort to get these Mandos back together. And once they get back together, for them not to kill each other, because that's literally all they've been doing their entire existence. <laughs> they've been going after each other. And I'm like, I don't know how, you know, Bo-Katan, you better live a long life because who's going to replace you, you know, as, as head of Mandalore, you know, and, and try to rebuild this because, I, you know, you can't, you can't be together. I mean, it was, you know, it was amazing also how those Mandalorians were like, you know, as, as soon as Din kind of gives that little reasoning and they're like, huh, loophole. All right, I'm on. And you're just like, wow, okay, that, that's all it took. All right, cool. Um, so are, are they doomed to repeat the same mistakes? <laughs> Sorry. So uh, I'm, when are we going to start our, uh, our live play role-playing game insert series? <laughs> I'm in. You, you sold me on it already. I, I, I got to find that because I still have like all my source books and all that kind of stuff. I got modules and, uh, you know, the Imperial source book and all that. It was a great RPG, of course. You know, they've they've taken stuff from it. Um, I never really had too much of a chance to play it. But, um, boy, it was one of those things. You know, like when you're early 20s, you, the world, you got the world by a tail and you can do whatever. And you're just like, okay, I can do it. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, I have my opening here to say that the first time I played the Fantasy Flight Star Wars RPG, um, I played an Ishi Tib, who uh, one of the requirements of playing that species, and there were there were Ishi Tib in the the courtroom, our court, the court today, not the not the courtroom. Uh, sorry, I think I saw an Ishi Tib in the Donald Trump coverage. I, yeah, he was just there in the background uh, hanging out. But where is this going? <laughs> one of the requirements of playing an Ishi Tib is that every, I think, day or two days, I had to take a one-hour bath in salt water. So the group would, oh. like, reconvene on our spaceship, and I would, like, go in the back room and take a salt bath. And we saw in this episode exactly yes. how my character could pilot a ship and still get his salt bath in. And that was such weird Star Wars, but I was there for every bit, especially the martini dumping in. I was there for all of it. That, that made me so happy. Thumbs up, definitely. <laughs> Tell you what, let me. I'm going to slip in Frank's question. Frank Mulder, friend of the program, Mr. Daft Braun, um, came up with an interesting question. And I, I kind of wanted to get the group's take on this. Um, you know, he was kind of curious. You know, especially with all the you know the robots, the, the Imperial robots, and all this kind of stuff. But he was kind of interested in the the Lambda class shuttle that you know from the extraction from Moff Gideon. He was like, "Hey, wait a minute, shouldn't that?" shuttle have been decommissioned just like the rest of the imperial fleet why why was the new republic using that and then when he sees like this combination of imperial droid imperial tech and republic tech he was kind of like is it just because you know there's some stretch resources why do you think that they were still using some of this tech when it should have been decommissioned i thought that was a great question i will i will use the floor to the group I have a headcanon because I've been wondering about the same thing. It doesn't, I, I agree, it doesn't really make sense. And I'm sure some sometime a comic will come out explaining it. But um, so Moff Gideon was captured on his ship, which is an Imperial ship, and probably had a shuttle on there. And so the New Republic came to take him away and didn't 
didn't bring in their own ship. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so they borrowed one of those <laughs> and they're taking yeah. it back on that. I don't know. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm. Mm. I I think I I mean I like that just as I like I want to buy that comic if you can uh, write it. Uh, so uh, I think to me I'm just continuing to think in this this I had a note about this as well that we've seen so many droids this season and I think it seems to be clear that the New Republic is being presented as they don't have enough droid uh, they they don't have enough people to to police Coruscant to offer therapy to the amnesty program and like on and on and on that I think that it, it it's just extremely thin resources. Um, I do think that canonically the Lambda class shuttle does not have any weapons. So maybe that would mm. not have been decommissioned because it's not a military vessel. It could just be a, you know, a shuttle, but it is funny that we saw a real changeover in tech from the the Republic to the Empire, right? And Bad Batch reminded me we have like the V wings that are these weird middle step between the two, um, and uh, and yet there isn't like a set of New Republic ships yet, which seems like we should have, but maybe it really is that they didn't bother developing any of them. They didn't. You know, Legends had the E-Wing and they had a bunch of Jedi uh, stealth craft and so on. But maybe there's just uh, no budget, no resources for all that in the New Republic. They're not investing in the military, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One thing I thought about, and this might go, this actually might explain something to me. Uh, He says they don't, they can't run their own military. So they have all those resources to, you know, for the welfare of their citizens, right? And maybe that's some of what is going on with the New Republic, too. Like, we all kind of, it, it's New Republic's made to look pretty dysfunctional and everything, of course. But maybe the reason they have all these droids is because that was previously all, you know, enslaved or exploited people who did that work under the Empire. And that's why the droids are like, we're afraid we're going to be replaced by humans. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, but now you've got all these planets that like, oh, well, they don't have a military. They spend their money on other things. And... You know, I don't know. Maybe it isn't all bad <laughs> for most people. <laughs> all right. Are we ready for our next round of questions? All right. Jen, won't you lead us off? So the the part that I struggled with the most in this episode actually were the Lizzo and Jack Black characters because I had a hard time positioning myself as a viewer in relationship to them in terms of like how am I supposed to view them I know in their celebrity personas are very charming and funny and kind of over especially Jack Black like really over the top in his comedy so I'm like is this are we treating this as like they're sort of parodies of themselves or are they more like in this world and should I be suspicious of them so my question is how suspicious were you of the Lizzo and Jack Black characters and was anyone worried about Din and Bo just leaving Grogu with them? Because that made me very, very <laughs> I was like, we're just, you don't know these people. You're just leaving him there? Like, what? I know he was eating snacks and getting pets, but, like, we don't know what happens once you leave. And so that, and then in that, in that by the end of the episode, that's, that concern seemed to be largely irrelevant. Like, I, I, like I shouldn't have been thinking that. And so I, I want to hear your thoughts about what was your experience in terms of how to, how to relate to those characters? I was really surprised that they 
when I when I it took me a little while to realize that it had happened, but when I realized that they just left <laughs> Grogu <laughs> there with them, I thought that was pretty unusual. Not to explain that, but I think I assumed it was just because Lizzo wanted to hold the baby Yoda. Hold the baby. <laughs> <laughs> right, but they didn't they didn't they wouldn't have left him with Werner Herzog. Like Right. <laughs> I thought he also wanted to, wanted to see, the, see baby. the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they left him with Pelly, or no? I guess they Din locked him in a closet, and he just wandered out and found Pelly. Originally, now they have a relationship. So, um, yeah. To the question, I was suspicious, and it's because they were presented as so foppish and terrible. And you know, as I unpack these scenes, and comparing Star Wars to the real world is always problematic. But if the like terrible parts of Twitter that I don't miss anymore want to claim this as like anti-woke, I think there's a pretty easy case to make that the proponents of good, pluralistic, respectful democracy are this buffoonish, right? And I, I you know, I, I don't think that's the intention of the, the creators, yet I could not take either of those characters seriously separated from their their actors um, because they seemed so, you know, lavish. And, you know, we didn't see anybody suffering on this planet. And yet at the same time, we know there's great suffering in the galaxy and they're having a banquet. My second viewing, I realized just how deep the menagerie is around them. I watched it on my TV as opposed to my iPad. And it's like, oh, there are these weird creatures we've never seen before kind of walking through the background and kind of like peacocks at Versailles or something. And so I thought the message, if not suspicious, that you just should not uh, admire these characters. And so I I really have no idea because you said it exactly right. The end of the episode, it's like, yeah, but they're harmless. Yep, let's do it. Like, these are the benevolent billionaires. Pick your billionaires, right? <laughs> I can't believe we made it through his whole thing, and I was sure he was going to take this point because I've been sitting here going, you know what What? What made this believable for me? The Last Jedi and Canto Bite. Come on, Greg. I can't believe you didn't, you didn't bring that up because I'm sitting there going, you know what? That whole Canto Bite sequence really prepared me for going, you know what? I've seen this before, and it's a drunk, you know, voiced by Mark Hamill guy, you know, creature trying to feed BB-8 coins thinking he's a slot machine. And so you go, this is, to me, it already had a precedence. And I go, you know what? It was just crazy enough. And I go, they're the types that go, you know, for me, it, it, on one hand, you go, they're, they're, just, they're just crazy enough to go, you know what? I, I'm buying into this. And I would say that the folks who really miss all not seeing the aliens, that entire table was just a buffet of, oh, wow, there's one of those, 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 and those. So for me, I was like, you know what? It was, it was just crazy enough to go, all right, I, I'm all in, and you know Lizzo and and Baby Yoda. There you go. I think Canto Bite's a great combination, but um, like like Jen was saying, the, the Canto Bite there, there's a rotten core. Like they're mm, true. They're war profiteers or or whatever. And maybe that like I could see them bringing that into this later. Like where exactly do they get all that <laughs> their wealth from? <laughs> Besides not spending it on the military anymore, which they send some money on the war because the privateers are expensive, right? So it's not like they don't spend money on the military. So I don't know. They have to spend it on salaries, that's for sure. (laughs) Right. My big fear politically is where this is going is like the one functioning government we see is this well-organized militia. (laughs) Oh, boy. Mandalorians have to do the best job out there. And it just I don't know where that's where kind of I want the allegory to go. 
Oh, I'm seeing all the terrible Punisher misreadings out there and thinking, is that where we're headed yeah. with Mando? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Um, yeah, well, uh, I did also want to throw in um, when uh, we see these droids, I my commute goes right past Boston Dynamics, which makes all the weird robot dogs that are every and, and are now in Star Wars canon. So uh, when when Din is just kicking these droids, like, <laughs> is that where we get with these? Like, and that's where the uprising starts. I I always think of of that. So, uh, yeah. Have you seen the video of the, the Boston Dynamics did once of where they QA the droids by kicking them? Yeah, like the same exact motions Din was using. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. All right, Ben, I think we got time to squeeze in another question before you got to scoot. Okay. Um, So most of the questions I have written down have to do with with droids. And I think one that I thought was interesting... (laughs) Was the CSI part where they do the draw the blood out and everything? I think it was. <laughs> there, we got lots of stuff in there, and, and there's a big CSI one where he's like, he's, you know what? There's always a moment where they're like looking at some video or whatever, and they're like, enhance that, and he's like, rotate the perspective. Because <laughs> they couldn't say enhance. And, and there's a chain code written onto a nano droid, and it really got like, what are chain codes? <laughs> why, why are they written on microscopic nanodroids at somehow link the, the, this thing to Christopher Lloyd? I, I, it does everything have a chain code actually. <laughs> and, and when the chain, oh, chain codes are like, they, they're like, okay, cool. Here's our chain codes. And they both pop up their wrists and nobody else besides Mandalorians has gauntlets with the chain codes in them. So how does that work for everybody else? I'm just so, uh, I'm just so perplexed by that. No, that's but, what the Apple but, wallets for is where you put your chain code. That's coming. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, in, Boba Fett's was in his armor, but he didn't yeah. have it until he proved it to Din that it was his armor. He's like, yeah, see, here's the chain code and you can tell this was my father's. And, so then it's like, oh, it has hit family history in it, too. Um, uh, again, I'm trying to be a good sport. The scene in the morgue is straight out of <laughs> Law & Order, and it makes no sense. We we put a droid on a cold slab and put it in a freezer. What? We draw <laughs> the droid's blood out? in a freezer. What? I forgot that. <laughs> like, it is exactly, you know, it's, it's like they somebody from law and order wandered into the wrong writer's room. It's like, oh, I got this scene. Let's just use it. Um, but uh, I had a, I, my first question on my list tonight was what are chain codes? Because I, I had that question as well. So I trying to understand it in the best spirit. I feel like the chain code on the droids, I, I understood it as it just proved that they weren't supposed to be there, that they hadn't come through the acquisition. So I'm thinking of them as serial numbers that are on mm. objects and people and that the serial number hadn't been registered as being imported. So that meant they were snuck in and they knew the only person who could have done the sneaking had to be Christopher Lloyd. But I don't know. Uh, also, why? Like, even if droids have oil in them, it doesn't move around their bodies like a circulatory system. I don't understand any of this. So somebody else take it. <laughs> so so I just want to jump in and defend the CI, CSI. CSI. <laughs> I would watch an entire spinoff series with Din and Bo, CSI Mando. Let's do it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love I love procedurals. They make me they're just like my TV comfort food. And so I actually really liked all of that stuff even and, and was totally fine that it didn't make sense. I, 
I just I all that stuff sort of washes over because that's what happens when you watch something like CSI or Law and Order, right? They're just like and the thumb the da da da, and you're like, sure, okay, uh, like I'll go with it. Um, so that didn't really bother bother me as much, and I really I really liked uh, Din and Bo as sort of like good cop bad cop, and then they switch yeah. good cop bad cop periodically. All that stuff to me was really fun, and and so I just wanted to kind of like stick up for that part of the episode because it was <laughs> it was delightful. Um, but in terms of chain codes, I sort of saw it, you know. And Ben, I think you're really spot on in terms of pa- like pairing the the Din and Bo chain code scene with with the droid because I feel like that's to me it almost seemed like some kind of social commentary on like a data privacy. Or something like that, where it's like even Din and Bo, people who arguably want to be on the DL, have chain codes and are like, sure, okay. Like they they don't they don't they don't seem to want to resist giving the chain code. They just sort of accept that that's a thing that they have to do. Um, and so that's I sort of saw that as like no one can escape a chain code. Every, everything and everyone, sort of like Greg was saying, a serial number. Like everyone has this identifying marker that, tra- and then like through the galaxy, you can't hide really. Like you get tracked everywhere you go by your chain code. And I think from Bad Batch, if we remember from like season one, you know, I think similarly there was something like a chain code, but it was more like a chip or like a card or something. So civilians would have probably have something that they would have to carry around that would maybe show their chain code or they'd have to put it in a chain code reader or, you know, square. I don't know, for lack of a better thing. Um, Right. And people couldn't travel if they didn't have chain codes. Right. That was how the Empire sort of enforced everyone to get one because you couldn't do anything without it. I did. I felt like there's something. <laughs> it might just try to rationalize this thing. There's something like in with with genetics or something involved with the chain codes because, you know, in the first season, Din can track anybody once mm. he's got their chain code, right? And once you have their chain code, the beeper will find them, you know. <laughs> and oh. and I don't think it's I don't think it's a chip at everybody or that would be something, you know, so that's why I was like, maybe it's genetic and maybe it's just like, it can pick up their scent in the air or something like that. And mm, even, mm. With, even with, with Grogu, he doesn't say Grogu doesn't have a chain code. He just says we only have part of it. So you're only mm, going to be able mm. to find the general area. Right. Mm. So I don't know. Oof. Everything you said about droids being, uh, kind of created by multiple hands seems to apply to chain codes in in that conversation Uh, so Ben before you slip out uh, as you know uh, you can't escape without uh, giving us your Pringles can rating so Mm. I think we should hear your Pringles can excuse you and then I'm going to throw one more question to the group um how many Pringles cans are are we out of 10 out of 10 um I'm going to say I'm going to say eight Pringle cans because, uh, well, I'm a pretty tough grader, you know, but I really got a lot of pleasure out of this episode and it's something that I'm going to enjoy trying to rationalize for a long time. So that that's why I gave it that, that rating. <laughs> I've seen Ben's letterbox. He is a tough, tough grader. So that's, that's actually a, a rave uh, right there. So. <laughs> All right. It's been awesome. Bye guys. All right. Thank you, Ben. Bye, Ben. Bye, Ben. And you can find him on um, Instagram at Zen Kenobi. 
and mm-hmm. I will put that in the show notes as well. Sorry. For and don't forget, uh, people should always go visit his T Public store, which is yes. Gonk Squadron. Uh, you can search for Gonk Squadron on T Public. He does original art, and all the profits go to uh, uh, foster kids in Massachusetts. So uh, absolutely, get some T-shirts. Con season is here. Grab some stickers. I get a sticker of every design he makes. They're they're a lot of fun. So I got a ton of compliments at WonderCon on my armorer like crew neck sweatshirt that i bought Ooh. from his store so everyone's like where'd you get that i'm like funny you should ask i have this friend <laughs> gong squadron <laughs> now that's enough saying nice things about him now that he's left uh, <laughs> uh i there's a great joke on the office where michael scott says like i would never say this to her face and then says the nicest things about pam and oscar goes why wouldn't you say that to her face so that's the spirit of of not giving ben any more compliments um i just think uh despite not wanting to continue long without him we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the ending and Mm. i i didn't participate in online discourse at all so i was very curious to hear uh jen allude to the fact that that's where a lot of the hubbub was so i'd love to hear a longer explanation of that my simple question and i i think it was uh somebody in our group chat already made the elder wand comparison uh because i think that's the right comparison from harry potter it seems to be but um here's my question was this too easy right was it just too neat and clean also shouldn't they have done this two days ago but that will we'll bracket that because it was in the face of a dramatic moment but um was this too easy? Is it really going to be Bo is the leader now and is the rightful owner of the the uh, dark saber, or is there a complication to come? Hmm. Great question. I'm going to start with discourse that's not my opinion, hmm. and then I will hone in on sort of my answer to this question and sort of like how I feel about it. So the 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 scuttlebutt online is that people are just upset that they never got to see Din in action with the Darksaber for real or that 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 he just hands it to her and that it's sort of this anticlimactic. I think some people were banking on a, a duel between the two of them for the Darksaber, right, where they're like they like each other, but they know that they have to do this. And so they're fight, like it's like a weird, like multi-layered fight between the two of them i think some people were disappointed that it wasn't that no one had to actually fight for the dark saber that he just handed it over other people are just upset that it sort of plugs into the larger criticism the season has gotten where din and grogu are sort of backseat um in the backseat of their own show and so people were like you know if you look at the poster which is literally sitting next to me that i got from my disney rewards right it's din standing proudly holding the dark saber right and so i think that set people's expectations of like oh you know, he's the one who's eventually going to learn how to wield the dark saber and then fight Moff Gideon probably or somebody, right? And like, and be the one who's who's the 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 wielder of the of the dark saber. And so the fact that this makes that seemingly not possible anymore, I think people were really upset by, and we're just like, I'm out. Like, like, why is Din just giving this up? Like, I didn't want. Like, they basically don't want Bo-Katan to have the have the dark saber. Mm-hmm. Uh, my take on it though is, I feel like this has not been easy. And that for Bo, because if you look at the, the the montage of the previously on for this episode, they do a really good job of cutting together all the scenes where Bo is sort of like talking about her history, 
and her past failure and sort of really wrestling. And we see that in this episode, right? In fact, I think they did a little overkill on that. There was like a second scene when they're in the monorail where she says basically the same line again. And I was like, oh, we didn't really need that a second time, but okay. And and she's really wrestling with her sense of self-confidence, right? She's like, I don't, you know, I've lost this. I'm not their leader anymore, right? I've failed before. And so it, this really is a big redemption arc for her. And so I feel like in that moment, it's really amazing that Din can recognize that she's the one who needs to be in this leadership position and that he's doing everything that he can to sort of support her in that, right? And that he's trying to make it happen and be and give her the assist. Um, and so I actually really liked that in terms of, and especially in terms of their relationship, because I feel like throughout this episode, we see him, like they both need each other in different ways, right? So like mm -hmm. he knows how to talk, talk to the Ugnats where she just like can't, like she's not getting anywhere. And he, she knows how to talk to the droids because he's too blinded by his own prejudices, right? To to not just threaten them. Um, and and, and the, there's a lot of kind of give and take in terms of they're both helping each other. And so to me, this was like a really beautiful moment where he's like, no, I have the answer, right? It's a little convoluted, uh, like, so we can talk about that. But um, but he's like, I have the answer. We can make this work. And he knows how to sort of work the crowd in a way that that she can she can sort of fulfill this destiny. And I thought that was really nice. So so the answer that's sort of a really long winded way to say, no, it's it, it's not too easy. Mm. Um, but in terms of looking to the future, which I think is what you're actually asking about. So sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I do feel like. It's not it, it's not over in terms of. Just because Bo now has the dark saber, and people are are like recognizing that she should have it, that doesn't mean that she's going to continue to have it, right? I feel like this season so far, we've seen that this is the dark saber's a little slippery during the season. It's getting dropped, it's getting tossed, <laughs> right? Um, so, so to me, what I would want, I think, in terms of how to make this more complicated in the future, is that for some reason. Bo can't wield the dark saber, and so Din has to in her place, and he there, and that's a problem because he doesn't know how to, and so like someone, someone maybe Sabine has to come train him. That would be. I'm. This is just really for me fantasizing about what the end of the season is going to be. <laughs> I just heard Ross Holobin say "yippee" somewhere, yeah, in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how I heard that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I I have to agree with Jen because I there isn't anything to say as we already know that there is a season four of the Mandalorian as my, as my sinuses are going into attack, that something doesn't happen to Bo. And that while this is going on, actually Din is getting his training in. He's watching, he's participating. I don't think that there could have been a struggle between them that didn't seem a little trumped up at this point, based on what we have seen so far. And so I think this was the best case scenario is that, Oh, Hey, due to a technicality, you get the dark saber back. Everybody heard it. Um, certainly the children of the watch didn't really care so much because the armor hand picked it out, but maybe, you know, Bo has a destiny to get them all there, get them all together. And then something maybe happens and then he has to kind of, you know, pick up the pieces. And so instead of trying to get this between them, you know, you get this awesome, I, I don't know. I'm like, I don't want anything to happen to Bo-Katan, but I could see if you're entering in all these characters that, you know what, they're not all going to get along. And at any rate, so I don't know. There you go. Both really helpful, good thoughts. And I do agree that I think 
we are definitely at a stage where the writers know this is going on for a while. So to all of us, I would caution us to think it's all going to be wrapped up neatly again this season. Um, because I think, if anything, the lesson from season two to these writers is maybe let's not wrap it up quite so neatly. Let's leave a little more to play with as we start out. Because then you don't need to steal two episodes of Book of Boba Fett to set up your third season. Um, <laughs> but uh, so one thing that all of that makes me think about is the fact that I, I think it's really good to think about the Darksaber in the context of Rebels and Back to Clone Wars. That's really helpful. However, the majority of Mandalorian viewers are just Mandalorian viewers. Right. Not even Andor, not even Book of Boba Fett is what the numbers show. And so I think about what they've established here in this show and what makes me think what's coming, that, that makes me think what's coming, is that I think the Mandalorians will face some kind of setback and everybody's going to say that is proof that Bo should not be wielding the Darksaber because mm -hmm. the show has reminded us that it's because Sabine gave it to Bo and didn't she didn't win it from Sabine that her rule of Mandalore ended in failure. That's what the armorer has told us. And so the show has reminded us of those rules. And I think that to me sounds really dramatically interesting if now Bo-Katan is wielding it, but a whole bunch of people are questioning whether she's the rightful wielder of the Darksaber. What does Din do in that situation? Does he step up and try to take it back to appease his people and protect his people? Does Grogu take it and go ride the Mythosaur? The world is open. <laughs> How much do you really want Sabine's first lion to bow be? The hell did you do with the Darksaber I gave you? <laughs> <laughs> Everything was fine until I gave it to you. Anyways, too soon? All right. Let me see if we can slip in one more question here before um, I also have to wrap it up. Otherwise, Mrs. Rebel Base Card will not be uh, too happy with me. Um, I don't have a huge one. I think you guys did a lot of great job of plucking what little I had from this one because, once again, I think we're all kind of, like, dumbfounded about how this episode was. But, you know, something I, I would say, you know, it's a shame because the Ugnaughts really didn't get their due, I think, in, in the conversation because it was an amazing scene, and I really loved, I, I loved that. I, I could get a whole series right next to the CSI uh, you know, draw you know CSI one. I could get a whole Ugnot uh, one, but I would say it was interesting that our Mandalorian, you know, our mercenaries, you know, with the Children of the Watch, idle time, they're out there training with with the impending threat of death right there. Meanwhile, you've got the the mercenaries out there playing catch. You know, they're you know they have time. To, you know, they're putting up banners, and I'm, the whole point. Maybe this is my question: Why do mercenaries need banners? Uh, I'm like, it was really nice. You know, we, we have all this extra yard to play with, but I, I really thought it was an interesting, you know, contradiction or contrast between what the children are doing over there. And maybe that was, you know, versus what the rest of the Mandalorians, I'm like, I guess they got to get it in shape somehow, but they didn't really seem to be, you know, like, you know, there, there's acts just kind of like, you know, kicking back a flask of, of whatever, um, it, it isn't, uh, you know, Nepenthe for sure. That that's for sure. Um, but I, I thought I was kind of curious what you guys' takes on how the, how this other, these other groups of Mandalorians, which I'm sure we're going to see more of versus the children of the watch. That's all I got. All that made me think of is like, who are the other Mandalorians we could go collect? 
because I feel like there might be still a little bit more of that. Um, I'm part of me is hoping for some Boba Fett. Mm. Can we go back to Tatooine and and go pick him up and be like, hey, we got to return the favor. Um, and 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 I'm just picturing because I think to me one of the pure joys of this season has been seeing so many Mandalorians together, and I I think that's intentional. I think they're you know because the whole point is that we're trying to rejoin them and and restore the civilization. And so I think the more that we can kind of pick up, you know. Boba Fett, Sabine, maybe as a setup for Ahsoka, hopefully, right? Can we? I don't want to get my hopes up, but are we? Are we? Are we kind of like doing the Avengers Assemble thing, where we kind of go to different places and pick them all up before we kind of head into the final, the final fight, uh, which, as I've said, I think will be against Moff Gideon. So, I think there's a lot, and like I'm really excited by that because of this ideological friction between all of them, right? Because I think the more Mandalorians, because if it's just Din versus Bo, which we have gotten a lot of so so far this season, sort of going back and forth about like, you know, she she's gone through a big arc in terms of being like, oh, I I can I can stand to keep my helmet on all the time now, right? She's which is a big change. So, but I think the more the more variety we mix in, if we have more of a checks mix of Mandalorians, checks mix, then then we might get then we might get. I, I haven't had dinner yet, so I think I'm hungry. <laughs> um, we might we might see even more friction, right? Where it's like, they're all kind of trying to figure out each other. Because, you know, Axe, I think in season two, when they first introduced Boba Fett, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm getting the timeline of this wrong, um, there's, there's a, the night owls are sort of like, he, you know, Boba Fett is not, he's a, he's a clone. He's not, a, mm. he's not a Mandalorian, right? So it's again, this debate of like, who gets to be a Mandalorian, right? We get that in this episode with Din, uh, with Axe Woves uh, accusing Din of not even being a real Mandalorian, right? And then Bo very, very beautifully, I really love that moment where she steps in, she very firmly explains, no, he is just as much a Mandalorian as the rest of us. And so so I feel like I'm looking forward to a lot of that. Hopefully there is. I really want to see a pauldron with a Chex Mix icon on it now. <laughs> Clan Chex Mix is a thing. Don't at me. Well, you see, when you have the let's say the wheat checks of the children of the watch uh, mixing with the corn checks of the night owls. Um, no, I actually, you had see son when the... a checks mix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my family puts cheese. It's in which not a lot of families do. That's the way to go. Sabine is the cheese. It of the checks mix uh, variety. Um, so I think I'd forgotten about that scene where Boba Fett and ax and, uh, Costca, right? Costca, yep. Uh, when when they have their conflict, that's a really good reminder that they they had basically that same conflict. And it's interesting that the people calling Din a zealot are the ones we've seen more kind of zealotry and exclusion from. Um, to the question about banners, um, it was interesting that there were banners at our at our, our cave on Dino Planet um, for the christening that opened this scene. They had some. Um, Actually, it was a big clue that it was um, uh, Vizsla's kid because I think they were House Vizsla banners mm -hmm. uh, that were that were visible. Um, and then I also think uh, back to Force Awakens. I think there's a Mando banner hanging over Maz's castle because people, you know, in those early wild days of speculating, were like Boba Fett has to be inside there because there's a, a and we would call it a mythosaur now. I don't think it had its name at the time, but they, they had a flag of that. 
Um, I think this isn't what you're describing is really an extension of their personalities, right? The covert keeps their helmets on. So they keep their banners hidden away. This Mandalorian group, I mean, they have to advertise. So it did feel like a, like a Ren fair uh, space in some ways, <laughs> but you know, they are out there showing their faces, making a name for themselves in the, this very silly scene with the, the Quarren and the, the Mon Cal, they say, you know, we're up for as long as you got credits, as long as you can pay. And so that's, that's their sense of honor. So I think part of their openness and, I, and all of that is really just my long winded way of agreeing with what Jen said is I think we're going to see more and more of these little differences. If these people have to go from being a diaspora to an actual people all gathered together again, I think there's going to be a lot of conflict within that. And and I always go back to Bo's line earlier this season that was like, the problem is we always fight each other, right? We mm-hmm. never are united. And so to me, that sets up we're either headed for more of that civil war or we're seeing the first time they actually unite. And I'm I'm really curious to see which it is. Yep. And then you can scan the QR code on the banner and use the hashtag Mando for 10% off your next job. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tell you what, let's get some uh, Pringles cans ratings out of here and wrap this puppy up. Jen, I'm curious. So, yeah, I had a tough time with this one, actually. And <clears throat> I originally ha- came into this at a 7.5 Pringles cans uh, because... I just didn't know what to make of this episode. Um, and, and, but I think our discussion has me a little bit, a little bit more up on it. Uh, and now that we've had a chance to kind of like talk through and process some things. So I'm willing, I like Ben's eight Pringle cans. So that's probably where I'll, I'll land. I'll go up a little bit. All right. Ooh, it's such a tough one. Um, and, and I want to say, you know, if, if your Star Wars is weird Star Wars, that's so valid. And I am not going to dismiss that. I, I feel like, you know, especially some of the prequels kids got that thrown back in their face a lot. And I never want to do that. And I am not here to yuck anyone's yum. But I will say, me personally, and, and an ongoing theme has been, I think Andor hit me so hard on the Star Wars pleasure centers for me that it's hard to like go from that to this. And it's it's just night and day. And it should be. And it's it's a beautiful checks mix of varieties of people of shows and, and properties. So I'm gonna come in at a seven, which is pretty low for me. I am uh, a grader who is very generous. You kind of started a B and lose me, and this one lost me a little. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go there, but um, that's not to say I don't think there's room for this in Star Wars. But my my favorite thing about Star Wars is uh, Jedi. My second favorite thing is politics, and we are so so far from those two things that I I personally struggled with this one. But you know, uh, actually, I think Jen and I were both on with Dan uh, when Dan was struggling a little bit with Willow, and he said. You can say no sometimes, just make your no's meaningful. And that's what it is for me, right? Like, I know this is this is this one's a no for me, but it's meaningful because so much of Star Wars is a yes for me. I think I could yeah. fail one of Greg's classes now because he can really let you down easy <laughs> and, and nice. It's like, you know, you totally failed. You completely didn't get what I was telling this entire quarter. However, <laughs> you keep trying. You keep swinging, kid. You're going to make it. You're, a champ. You, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, to follow up on that, though, like I'm totally with you, Greg. I think that's the thing that's holding me back a little bit with this episode because I had a I, I had a lot of fun watching it. I yelled at my TV. I pointed at it. 
a lot. Mm. Uh, I was like, this is nuts. This is crazy. But in, in, I, and I'm like, I think it's in a good way, but I'm not sure. And I think for me, what it comes down to when we're thinking about the story this one episode is trying to tell, it wasn't that it was weird and wacky. I actually like, really liked that a lot. It was that I didn't, the show and the episode didn't adequately prepare me to take the wackiness at face value. Because mm. for me, I was like, I don't know what to do with this, like based on what I've seen from the show before. Like, and it didn't teach me how to watch the wackiness mm. um, and the, like and that. how how over the top it was. Because there's there's literally a scene where Lizzo is giving a giant key to Bo-Katan and Din, and after nothing a, we've uh, seen in the show after Night and Grogu. <laughs> after Night and Grogu, which is after playing croquet like the queen from Alice in Wonderland, like it is wacky and and yeah. like hey I, I i have complained about other star wars shows that they don't swing for the fences they were swinging for the fences and i i respect that so sorry <laughs> and how fast but, but... do you think etsy will have those keys ready for you to purchase <laughs> i swear someone has one right now but yeah what i'm saying is that internally the show hadn't taught me how to view that scene mm. so i didn't know what to do with it i was like is this is this making fun of the show who's being made fun of is anyone is the giant key a real thing that we're supposed to take seriously or is it because it seems like it's so ridiculous that it's supposed to be funny but there's nothing in the story that sort of like points me to that in that or like reassures me that's how i'm supposed to be viewing it so that's sort of that sort of to me is what it comes down to it's not like uh if the show the episode from start to finish had sort of set me up to enjoy a wacky swing for the fences then i would have been much more on board with it and as i said like in in of itself i really enjoyed it i had a great time but it it doesn't there's something off about it for me i'll come in as the one um i i it was just very entertaining and it was very surprising i would say the format very seemed much like what the was it the converted or or whatnot where it's like you start off and then you have this kind of middle section and then you had the ending and, you know, they took a real, I would agree with you both. They took a real swing for the fences on this. I don't know why it just resonated with me. And you go, okay. And I think a lot of it is just because some of it has been very, you know, we've had some very intense times with with the Bad Batch and especially with Andor that I, I don't mind this little lighter approach. And I was like, you know what? There was enough in there, I think, for everybody. I do think there was some things that they missed on or they could have tweaked to make a little better, make a little more sense. I, I, but I thought all the references, all the cameos really, I think, really sold me more than some of the story. And, and I, I like the resolution. of I like us getting past just in the beginning where we, we, you know, we got Grogu and Din together and they kind of got past that. I think getting past this, are they, are they or aren't they going to fight? All right. Now you could really have some really crazy last couple of episodes. And I think at this point, what's off the table for the writers. And so I think, you know, we have the penultimate coming up. Uh, that should be like really nuts, or maybe it'll just go like finale. will just blow our minds because we do have a long time between whatever happens next. And of course we have star Wars celebration. So I'm going to stick with nine and I'm going to, I'm going to bring us out uh, otherwise, cause I need to get on the road. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. I want to thank everybody, including uh, director Bennett, Ben Brophy for being on uh, Jen, so you can uh, sign us off tonight. Where can people find you online? Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. This was really fun and, and very helpful. Very helpful for me to process <laughs> what we saw. 
so uh, you can find my writing at thelongtake.substack.com. Uh, you can subscribe for free, and all my reviews will go into your inbox, including the one I'm going to write tonight uh, about this episode, uh, which hopefully I'll have done tomorrow. Um, and you can find me on social media, mostly on Instagram at subchakchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I. Excellent. Greg? Find me on ioncanon.com or ioncanon on Instagram. That's E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N. Coming soon, uh, a video of me. Uh, the Library of Congress is actually going to let me be the second person after Lizzo to play James Madison's flute. And I can't wait. I'm going to try my best to twerk like she did while playing the ex-president's flute. So uh, video coming soon. Like and subscribe. Please, please. Keeping this podcast weird, it is Greg Cass from Ion Cannon. If you I also have, don't know what to do with that. I, I, I'm going to go right past it as if it did not happen. However, You all if, don't know the depths of my Lizzo fandom, and you will appreciate it by the end of tonight. If you have a question for whatever you thought you heard tonight, you can reach us. You can find it at Rebel Base Card on Instagram, Twitter, Hive, and soon more Substack as well as rebelbasecard.com. All right. I No, I don't really need this to go longer because I'm already in trouble. All right. I will be on the road shortly. However, we all have some real work to do, so we are going to let this go, and we're going to be back next week after another crazy edition of Mandalorian uh, to see if there are questions that we have. I'm sure we're going to have some. So we are going to sign off for now, but we're going to return you to your podcast playlist, already in progress. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Topps, Disney, or Star Wars, nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds, and any other related items, are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.